Who's excited to fast? I'm excited. We, um, we did a fast at Glenridge a couple of years ago, and um, it was a liquid fast. And the one digs decided that, that if you take a chicken and debone it, and you put it in a liquidizer, it turns a chicken into liquid. So surely that's fine. Maybe they're onto something, I don't know. If you feel led to eat a liquidized chicken, bless you. But um, we're really excited about this time. And, and maybe, maybe you're new to church, maybe fasting is something weirdos do um, sometimes. And, um, but I just want to dispel some of that stuff. The Bible speaks about it as a normal practice. It's not the thing you do when there's chaos reigning. It's the thing you do just to quieten the other voices so you can hear God. So you can be present with God that you can have this thing of Christianity, this thing is a relationship. It's about knowing God. And so when we're fasting, we're not beating ourselves like Rob said. It's not a hunger strike. It's not the beginning of the year, let's trim down moment. It's not that moment. It's a moment to say, God, actually, you are first and foremost. We sang some big lines this morning. I don't know if you noticed. God, you are my devotion. Be my everything. Those are radical lines to sing to God. And sometimes it's an opportunity as a community, and maybe your life is dandy, you've just got that promotion you're wanting for, your wife loves you dramatically, it's the whole thing is just good. That's why we're in community, so we come together to fast for each other, for our brothers, for our sisters, and to take a hold of more for God in this area, in this community. So I encourage you, we, we, um, and I tell this story in the light of the fasting, I had a friend phone me on Friday night, he said, come for an easy run tomorrow. And so he's a leader in a local church. So I thought, oh, I better believe him that it's going to be easy. He said, no, it's flat, easy. So he picked me up at quarter to five. I mean, who does anything quarter? I should have known then there was something wrong. <laughs> he picked me up at quarter to five, drove me to Constantia. And, and, and we started, the first hundred meters was flat, like dead flat. So it was a good start. Then for the rest of the 14 point whatever kilometers... It was mountains. The one was called the Southern Cross. It was like, it just kept going. And I got home and, and we had people for dinner last night. I literally could hardly stand up from the table. I feel like people have shot me in my calves and stuck knives in my uh, knees. And the reason I tell you that story is this fast is not like that. If you're intimidated and you're a bit worried to come to the meetings because you don't know what we're going to do, we're just going to get together and worship God. We're just going to get together and Come before the living God and trust Him to do amazing things. He's calling us to lay hands on the sick and to see healing. Not just to pray for the sick, but to actually see healing. And to press into Him for breakthrough and to see this city and this area and this nation change for His glory. That's what He's calling us to. And so I ask that you would, you would take this time seriously. That I realize guys are busy and, and many things. We would really like to call this fast. We would call you to fast at this time. We would call you to come to these meetings and take some time out to just prioritize this at this time, if that's good. And if you're not able to be and you're traveling for work, you can still fast and you can still pray to the same God. So let's do this together. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. That's just my sneaky feeling. But it's good. Gabe spoke about reality TV this morning as the next big thing. Well, he, what he didn't tell you is he was nearly on the latest survivor. Has he told you that? He actually did you. He didn't crack it, but that's not important. Um, 
Well, he was close. That's what's important. I need to pray for me. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Okay. So last week we spoke and we kicked off the year as we realized people go through these New Year's resolutions, but actually what's more important is actually just New Year's realizations of what's important. And at the center of everything we do is this thing called relationship. And there's this vertical relationship we have with God that everything is in, and He gives us the power then to outwork it in our relationships with men and women and friends and people we love. And we spoke about this concept that presence is the oxygen of relationship. That for me to have a relationship with Wayno, I've got to be present. When he's speaking, we spoke about the analogy of Sauborna being way more than just hello. It's I see you, I recognize you, I see the humanity in you and I respect it. And I'm present in the conversation. And that's important right now. And if we want to have relations on this earth with families, friends, wives, if we want those to thrive, it was an encouragement to be present in those relationships, in the moment, enjoying the moment. And then with God, it's the same thing. He doesn't leave us. He never forsakes us. We are sealed with the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't fly away. But we get a little distracted. In a world of ADHD, we get busy we get distracted, and I'm the worst. I'm easily distracted. But God calls us to be present in His relationship, and then He presences Himself and changes things, and the game changes. And as I've been thinking about this and understanding, it's an amazing thing, these things of relationships. There was a church father. His name was Simeon the Starlight. I don't know if they were the first stylish group. I don't know why they were called Starlights. But, but he... For 37 years, he sat on the top of a pillar. He sat there over there, buddy. <laughs> there we go, Dave. Everyone clap for Dave. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. I'm my dad, too. I know what that's like. It's fun. But this guy, Simon the, Simeon the Starlight, sat on top of his one square meter pillar for 37 years. And his whole aim was to get closer to God. And this world's just a distraction. Everyone around me, Quinton's a distraction, Gabe's a distraction. They're just distractions because I'm going to get little people to feed me food and I'm going to sit on top of my pillar for 37 years. And he is celebrated as a church father. And I've got to tell you, I struggle with that. I don't think you can do theology inside a glass box and close off the world. I think theology is done in relationship. When I look at the very nature of the gospel, everything about the gospel is relational everything. We seek about a God who extended Himself. He didn't sit up in heaven and distance Himself from the earth. Even when He sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, He went with them. It's a radical thing. And we see throughout the gospel, we see right at the start, it's God sitting in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, saying, let us make man in our image. Let us, together, we're going to do this. And then, when, when, uh, when they were trying to build the Tower of Babel, God said, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. It's an amazing thing, this process of, of, of us together, the Trinity all together, working this thing out relationally. And then throughout the Bible, we see Paul the Apostle, let us everywhere, Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us do good to all people. 
Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited. It's this encouragement that the gospel gets outwards in relationship. And as we start this year, we can have many goals, we can have many aspirations for the year. I want to have powerful relationships in my life. People are, there's almost a fear in people to have powerful relationships. So we keep ourselves distanced. So we stay behind Facebook, we hide behind Twitter, we hide behind all these networks where we supposedly network with people, but there's no touch. Are you comfortable with that, Chris? There's no touch. There's got to be touch. That's why husbands and wives, there's got to be touch so there's intimacy. Children, I love holding my children and kissing them and hugging them. I love holding them. I love holidays because I have more time to hold them. And Judah gets frustrated with me because he's not much of a hugger. But Ben just digs in and he tucks his neck in and he's just all up for it. And there is this fact that, that this gospel... You cannot do theology without people. You cannot do theology behind a glass box, sitting on your tower, on your pillar, separated from the world. Old Simeon the Starlight was, was trying to be this Christian who could commune with God in, 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 in solace. And he seemed unable to do that, so he escaped from this world, the horizontal world, and tried to attempt an escape to a vertical dimension only. We can't do that. So we've got to fight for relationships. And I was, it's a massive challenge. As we speak in relationships, there's no more powerful thing. I walked out of the service into a lunch with a man who I think is an amazing man, who I love this man. But I began to speak to him about his relationship with his wife. And I began to encourage him that he needs to humble himself with his wife. It's an amazing thing, yeah, but, but I've been through this and I've experienced this. And he has. He's been through a lot. I said, but the Bible doesn't say be humble. The Bible says humble yourself. I mean, there are just scriptures after scriptures. Humble yourself. Because when we humble ourselves, into the equation comes humility. When I'm boxing with Wayne, we just, this is just hypothetical, just telling you. But when I'm boxing with Wayne, into the mix, I throw humility, and the whole power dynamic changes. And it only takes one. What happens when, when you see Daniel? He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. James 4, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I want to be lifted up by God. This world is about put up ladders and pull yourself up. Over people. I worked in environments that were incredibly competitive and it was about getting on top of the person next to you. And my Bible says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. This is a challenge. Why is it a challenge? Because there's a radical scripture in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, that says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God's not just for your humility and has no perspective on your pride. And I'm standing here today as a man who deals with pride ongoingly. We all do. All the time. So your kid screams in public and, and, and you're a little embarrassed. So you've got to discipline them radically in public because, because of your pride. Because you're embarrassed. Or rather, do you reveal the fire to them, take them, love them, show them something different? It's a radical thing that God would oppose the pride. 
What happened with Pharaoh when he wouldn't let God's people go in Exodus 10? It says, So they went with him, and God speaks to them through Moses and Aaron and says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And we know that story didn't go well for Pharaoh. He lost a son, rivers got turned to blood, bugs came flying in, just a whole bunch of things. God opposes the proud. It's a radical statement. The cool thing is that, that as we walk this road of pride and fighting pride, that humility is, is a direction, it's not a destination. I'm not putting this on you and I'm not putting it on me that we have to be the finished product today. Jesus is just asking us to go on a journey with Him. So we don't walk out of this place and all pride is done and I will never have a prideful moment in my life and I'm going to be the most humble person I know. It's a problem in that too. But we're on a, we're on a journey with Jesus in this life. Not on a race. We're just journeying with Jesus. We're saying... God, as you, as Spirit of God, as you reveal the Father more to me, as you reveal the Son more to me, I pray I become more and more like Jesus, our great example. So I'm not cross or angry this morning. I'm just really excited. You know why? Because Gabe is pushing us and he's encouraging us and he's exhorting us, us to something. But many churches have, been, have taken moments and gone back, seen revival come and weeks, seen healing come, and step back into something less. And I didn't think the thing that sustains revival is when our relationships are strong. I think the thing that sustains revival in communities is humility, is generosity, is forgiveness. I think those things are the things that sustain revival, that keep a community influencing, impacting, changing. And so I want that for us. So we could do a million teachings on healing and we can go up all those things, but I believe if we don't speak into and see humility come in our hearts, see lives transformed to become more like Jesus, actually we might see a healing, but it'll be gone tomorrow. And I believe the promise of the Holy Spirit given to us is that He would reside with us, that we will see life lived out ongoingly. So that's why we speak about these things. And the challenge is, the world... Look at the church and, and what, what do they see very often? I spoke about this when I spoke with the leaders a while ago, but there's some crazy statistics. Four to eight million lawsuits every year between Christian brothers in America. Four to eight million, costing 20 to 40 billion dollars every year between brothers in Christ. There are 19,000 major scarring church conflicts in the U.S. every year. 15,000 pastors leave assignments because of conflicts and challenge. And we think the world don't know about this stuff. We think it's hidden behind the walls of the church, but they know. They pick up junk. They pick up issues. And that God is calling us to a new standard where our relationships would be the greatest signs and wonders to this world. Where brothers have challenges, but they come together, and in intimacy and relationship, they work it out. It's a radical high standard. It's totally different to the world. Yes, Jesus is counterculture. The challenge is we're not called to just dress different to the world. Actually, we're not called just to dress different to the world at all. We're called to be different. In our relationships, when we challenge that Chris is a young man, he is 16 or 17, 17, sorry, forgive me. 
17, but actually can be a good friend of mine. One of my best friends is 55 years old, and I thank Jesus for him. But outside of the church, I don't see those things happening too well. It's a major challenge to the church, and the issue is His glory and our mandate. That's what's at stake. Because we can fast for days, but if we can't get together in a room and scrum down some of our differences, scrum down some of, some of our cultural differences, some of our dynamics that are at play in, amidst what God puts together and says, actually, hodgepodge like a poiki course, but it's beautiful, it's called my church. That's who we are. Different backgrounds. Some like hot food, some don't. It's just good that we get together on these issues because it's so radically different, this kingdom we enter into. Think about the statement. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers, not peace bringers, peacemakers. When we run into situations to bring peace, it's a radical challenge. You just need to drive our streets and realize that's not the culture around. As people fight each other over who got slightly more forward and back in the car. And peacemakers are these people who breathe grace. They draw on the goodness and the grace of God and understanding what He has done for us and that's what comes out. And I fail at this often. Sometimes we stand on our high horse and we, 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 every bit of pride inside of us rears its ugly head and it looks ugly and it doesn't look a lot like Jesus. And we've got to get back on our knees and back into the intimate place with Him so that when this relationship is in order, these relationships are in order. That because the problem is, and I said it last week, I want to say it again, is what is the first issue that man encounters? When is the first time that brothers begin to fight? It's outside the garden, outside of the presence of God. Brothers begin to fight. Brother kills brother and asks God, am I my brother's keeper? Is this thing important? Is this thing important? Surely it's just this thing, God. And too many Christians come to church on a Sunday and it's because this is in order, but it doesn't really matter what this looks like. That's not the gospel. Everything that happens here impacts everything that happens here. And it's a challenge. But when we respond to that challenge, I believe we'll begin to see His kingdom breaking out in ways we've never imagined. I said it last week. I said one of the challenges is that we value every person. See, prejudice is such a subtle thing that that even in my relationship, I, I, I'm present with Quentin because we, we share commonalities. I respect him. He's a father. He's older than me. And so I respect him for all these things that the, that the world holds up. Yes, he's older than me. And I uh, just thought I'd put that in there. Actually, quite a bit older. And, um, and, uh, but I respect him because of these things. We put all these things in place. So when we look at someone, it's tick, 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 tick. Okay, I'm present. But when we encounter someone on the street, and the tick doesn't come, and there are no ticks, are we present? Or is that called prejudice? Because when I look at Jesus encountering the woman at the well, and the tick, aren't there. 
Actually, there's a whole bunch of crosses. There's a whole bunch of failings and failures and society not celebrating that person. But Jesus stops and He is present with her. That's the church. That's the gospel. It's a high standard. Here's the challenge. It's easy to humble yourself with someone in authority. Is it easy to humble yourself with someone with less authority? Remember Rory Dyer, who is a big man physically and a big man in what God has called him to. So he's this, many people find him intimidating. It's quite funny. I see people approach him, they're a little bit like, and he's actually just a big teddy bear, but they're like, and once he was talking to one of the young ladies who led worship at Glenridge, young lady, she must have been 19 at the time. And he's this leader of this big church, lots of people, lots of respect. And she said to him, why don't you worship? So what? He says, no, when we're worshiping, you're asking us to worship and lead people in worship, but you're looking around and you, you, you're doing all sorts of things, but you're not worshiping. And I saw something change in him from that time because he could humble himself and listen. And I never saw him looking around after that. Since that day, he's worshiped God, in, even in church. And when we can learn from young people, when I can learn from my children, when I can learn from people who have worked in a different area, area, era, whatever, when we can learn from people, when we can be humble enough to say, actually, I can learn from everyone, when the rich can be humble enough to say, I've got lots to learn for the poor. It's an amazing thing, the poor do community so much better than the rich. The poor do love and, and real relationships so much better than the rich. It's just, you've got to watch Miami Housewives or some of those things to realize. It's a bit weird. You don't watch that stuff. And here's the challenge in Ephesians 4. It says, even in marriage, the world kicks against Wives submit. But before that comes an amazing thing. It says, be as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writing as a prisoner, and he writes the whole Philippians book in jail, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Deals with everyone in the light of their calling. And then he says, be completely humble and gentle. Don't make an effort. Don't get it one out of three times. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He's writing to the church, a good church, a, a church doing well, and he's calling them to more that Rob was speaking about. And he says, be completely humble and gentle. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not completely humble and I'm not completely gentle. I have a very gentle wife. Very, very gentle. And uh, sometimes I wish I was more gentle. Sometimes you wish you could take a moment back that happened years ago. But Jesus says, son, actually that's not your wife. Before she's your wife, she's my daughter. And every time he speaks that, something breaks inside and it has to break so that more of him can come in. I fail on this level, but I want more of Jesus. I want to live and love Jesus which means I've got to grow in humility and I've got to grow in gentleness. And I've got to grow in patience. 
to see the sustained revival of God in and through my life and the community in which we work. That's why we do it, not to have great marriages. That's the byproduct. That's the bonus. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, these are the keys of sustained revival. And, and humility serves. Humility gets down low and lifts others up. Humility looks to the needs of others and gives time and effort to help with those needs. Jesus says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. Jesus got under all of us. He came as a child. He got under all of us and He did the strongest push-up this world has ever known and lifted us up to a place we should not know because of humility, because of grace. And it measures everything we do. And here are some challenges. And it ha- the world throws these challenges and the church throws these challenges with humility is this. You are humble people, a little bit gloomy, a little bit dismal, a little bit downcast, a little bit unhappy. To be humble means you're just under everyone, you just stay at the bottom of the pile. There's that fear. <laughs> That's not a gospel humility. The gospel humility actually frees us from that posture completely. Frees us to laugh a lot. Frees us to enjoy life a lot because our ego is not getting in the way. Can I laugh at that? Shan't I laugh at that? Am I the butt of the joke? Who cares? Why do you, you, you listen to comedians? The guys who get the biggest laughs are the guys who make the most jokes about themselves. We've got to be able to let ourselves go. The next one is that humility makes us this fearful and timid little person. Jesus wasn't fearful and timid. And the the reality is that that when our our courage comes from our self-confidence, we will end up in fear and timidity. But when our courage comes from our God-confidence, that I am confident, we sang that song this morning, I am confident and covered. See, the cool thing about a cover is we can be sheltered under a cover, but actually sometimes we're a little bit on fire and Jesus just covers us. Son, you're not going to go speak to your wife like that. And he just covers us. He's that good. And sometimes there's this thing, well, humility makes us a bit passive. So we lose that drive in our life. Surely we've got to be the most confident and arrogant. The arrogant people are the ones who make it. The arrogant sportsmen are the ones who make it. There's that, you've heard that thing. The problem with that is, is the driving motor behind our achievement is our ego with those accomplishments. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God in that alone. I worked harder than any other of them, though it was not I, but by the grace of God. All the influence, all the cities impacted, all the people coming to Jesus. I worked harder than all, but it wasn't me, it was Jesus. Humility calls us to be like Jesus. A radical concept called a servant. It's an amazing thing. Some of us are good at serving because of, in our context, we've grown up, we've, we've just done it. We've not had help at home. We've had to, as young children, clean things, help in the home. And some of us didn't. 
And then God says, actually, South Africa, I'm going to change it. I'm going to put you all together. And you see privileged kids coming together with kids who didn't have so much privilege. And some knew how to serve and some just really struggled with it. Actually, couldn't tie their own laces. And he says, I'm going to bring my glory in and through a nation. And it's going to call because what does the Bible say? Well, actually, for God's glory to come, he's going to bring down the hills and he's going to lift up the valleys. And he's going to keep bringing down the hills and he's going to keep lifting up the valleys so his glory can come. Some of us have been very privileged and God needs to bring down a hill of privilege so we can learn to serve. Even in the church. Now, my role in the church is I will be, I will be a statesman, I'll be advised, and I'm going to give big bucks to the church. That's wonderful. Can, can you serve, Chris, by saying, actually, Chris, you're a young man. Do you need 10 minutes? Do you need a coffee just to... Can I serve you? It's a radical challenge. And I think the gospel calls us to answer up to this challenge. Because humility brings life. We want life. We want healings. We want God to pour in. Humility brings life. It's a radical thing in Mark 10. They're walking, they're talking, doing what disciples do with Jesus. Just rolling. Jesus begins to tell them, he says, actually, guys, I'm going to be condemned to death. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And all James and John are doing while Jesus is saying this, all they've got in their head is they say, uh, Jesus, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. He's just said he's going to be flogged. And all they've got is, I've got this in my head. And they says, what do you want me to do for them? Mark 10, verse 37. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left in glory. They are so self-obsessed, self-focused. They've been walking with Jesus. And all they can think about is their place of glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they say, we can. And Jesus speaks to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And he basically just gives them the biggest handoff that anyone had ever known. They come to him with the silliest question at the most inappropriate moment that are all about them. He's trying to change the world and all they can care about is where they're going to sit. Can I have the first picture up please? I think I've got the gadget here. This is what happened to the disciples. Where do I point this thing? Wonderful. This basically is what Jesus did to the disciples, James and John, on that day. See, James and John came running. They had their ball, which was their seat. They came running, and, they, and, 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 and actually Jesus had their ball. They wanted that seat, yes. Jesus got the ball, and they came to get the ball from Jesus, and Jesus said, no room on the bus, boys. Bus is full. Like, Bismarck. It's a rugby analogy, and it's very weak, but I thought it was quite funny at five this morning. And... Um, but this is the most embarrassing moment. And they were all about themselves. And then Jesus says, actually, for, the son of, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
It's a radical thing. And it's this historic reversal of everything about what's being great. Because what's being great in this world is let's affiliate with the greatest people, the rich people, the, those with influence. If we affiliate with them, we'll become like them. And Jesus said, actually, no, if you serve the lowest, you'll be the greatest. And it reverses everything. Wealth, status, influence, everything has to change. You know what the number one word of 2013 was? So some of you be on social network. It was selfie. And please, again at five this morning, this was quite funny. This is the selfie phenomenon. And some of you are very good at it, so I'm not talking to you, relax. But it's this thing of taking photos of myself everywhere, myself, about myself, putting it on myself's page. And, and basically, that's all one person. And he's lovely. He, is, he thinks he's great. See, the problem with the disciples was they had this high elevation that they, of opinion of self. So they thought they deserved to sit next to Jesus, and Jesus didn't share their opinion. There's just, it's this whole phenomenon of selfies. Because we live in a world where we're obsessed with ourselves. See, when you're obsessed with yourself, you will struggle to serve. You'll struggle to give young men time. You'll struggle to, to do these things. The gospel changes everything. When humility breaks in, it, it breaks into a boss and worker relationship where sometimes the boss gets on his knees and lifts the worker up. Where husbands get on their knees and serve their wives with humility and love. And the husband doesn't stand and call it, but the Bible says you must submit. Now it says a whole bunch of things before that. And parents and children, and sometimes older children and even older parents, that humility would enter into that relationship. When we walk with humility, it's a lot easier when we walk with Christ to enter into this relationship. And I'm shooting through because I want to land in a minute. Some of the greatest pictures of the church for me is, is millionaires directing cars in the car park of church. So one man, he must be worth a couple hundred million rand. So I'm working the car park for over a year. He would get there early, he would put on an orange bib and he would direct 18-year-old kids who didn't really want to listen to anyone and they didn't know who he was and he would take it. I've seen men and women engage and give time to the homeless trying to get them on their feet. And, and the first five attempts didn't work but the sixth one worked. I've seen older men and women giving young men and women advice. I've seen children celebrated within communities for who they are and the gifts that they are within communities. If we want to see revival... We want to see what Jesus did as he walked on this earth. He's calling us to humility. Calling us to a life that looks different. And, and sometimes the person in front of you is more important than you being right. Sometimes the person in front of you is more important than you being right. I struggle with that. Just being honest. But I want Jesus in my life. I just said, I said to someone this morning, I think, was it Jill or 
said, we, I saw this free cycle thing that happens in Tableview. I don't know if you've seen it. It's amazing. People give things away. It's incredible. He said, what if we as a community said, actually, we've got men within this community, and I'm sure some women, who, who can do DIY. What if we said to all the widows and the single moms in this area, because this area is ravaged by divorce, what if we said we'll offer our services to do DIY for free and we'll serve you? Not just in the Lani areas, in the big homes. We'll come to any home and we'll serve you. Do you think that would change an area? <laughs> I want to be those people. I want to be like Christ. And it only happens when Philippians says, And being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When I remain in the one who humbled himself, there's a chance for me to walk in humility. I want that power in my life. Powerful relationships. Can we pray? Just, um, actually, can we stand together? I think... Sometimes, I don't know why this word is for now. We should be doing a big vision casting for the year. We should be doing many things. But I want to see revival. We, the one reason we came to Cape Town was not because we could lead a nice little church and be comfortable. It's because God said He can do something great in Cape Town and in this nation. And it'll look like healings and it'll look like holes. It'll look like businesses rising up and bringing glory to God. It'll look like many things. But it's going to look like people who look a lot like Jesus. And one thing my Savior did, that day he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet, was model for us a great humility. And I think we can, if we were to do that for our community, if we were to do that for the world around us, and extend ourselves, we'll see great things. So Jesus, we come this morning. I just pray right now. I know your presence is in this place. I know even now you're working on hearts, God. You're working on my heart. You're working on the hearts of husbands. And sometimes the words they speak, Lord. Disqualifying words. As husbands, we repent, Father. Right now, God. Teach us your ways, I pray, God. Show me your ways. Show me your heart, God. Make me more like you as, as employers. You, you're dealing with employers' hearts. Where it's so easy to make the bottom line of profit the big thing, but actually you're all about people. I pray realign our hearts to your heart at this time, God. To our neighbors, to the people we engage on the streets, I pray, God, make us a humble people. I thank you that this community is, I think about Red Week last week, I think about the amazing initiatives, serving soup, serving, making provisions available. I thank you for what you have done already in this community. But I pray, God, that my desire that we would remain a people in revival, sustained revival. And I ask, do it in our hearts first, Jesus, that we could see restoration, redemption, and reformation in this world around us. And it's all because of you, Jesus. Thank you for your example, your love. And I thank you that your gospel doesn't leave us the same. Your gospel changes everything. The game changes because of you, Jesus.
and your grace. And we worship you this morning, God. Amen. So, amen. Just before we go, the Bible says signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. And, and like me, I think some of you might need to have conversations. Employers, with your boss, with people who work for you, with your wife, maybe even with your children. Let's have those conversations so that we can see His glory come. Is that good?